why do we do this? Why do we come every Sunday afternoon for now and we are tired, but we pay the price to come? Why do we do this? What is the implication for that? <laughs> and if you remember, some brothers were there with, with me in that uh, address of Pastor Jeremy. He said something that presents the life and the relationship in the local church. He said that local church and the life in the local church is similar to an arranged marriage. Let that to sink in. <laughs> because for us with the Western mindset, we don't like this thing of arranged marriage, isn't it? No, I need to marry the person that I love. But the life, of the, the life of the members in the local church, in this new humanity created by God, in and through the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit, is really like an arranged marriage. Brothers and sisters, you and me, as a believers in Christ, we enter into covenant commitment to other believers that we learn to love and care sacrificially, so we enter into covenant commitment to obey Christ together. And those are the commandments that we are seeing in this series, the one another's. We don't choose who we will love. We love what God has given us to love. That's why it's an arranged marriage. Stop and reflect on that and allow God's word to reform and reshape the way you see church. This faith family. As I say, just like in an arranged marriage, the couple, the men and the women, they start knowing them, themselves, as they go together, that's why, or in the same way, we have to know one another and we have to love one another sacrificially just as Christ has done for us. Our relationships in a local church are God's mean of grace to bring about his character in us. That's why we need to exercise in our relationships with one another the values that are implicit in the redemptive sacrifice of Christ. Christ has put us in this arranged marriage in order to provoke us for the character of Christ to be formed in us. Why? Because relationships are messy, isn't it? Relationships are hard, isn't it? Relationships 
challenge us to forgive, challenge us to love, challenge us to ask for forgiveness. God has given, has given to us one another so that he may sanctify us and so that we may forget our selfishness, independence, and together he wants us to experience him. Now, in every meaningful relationship that we have, it certainly involves hearing from the other person, isn't it? If we have a close and meaningful relationship with someone, but we never listen to that person, then we are not as close as we might think that we are. Is that a fair assessment? So that is what, or that is why in the life of the, the local church, God has ordained and made sure that we would listen to one another every time that we come together. How? In the singing. As we sing, we are speaking to one another as we speak directly to, to God. And why he does that? He desires... He desires us to have meaningful relationships among us and to point that his desire is for us to become one. If you go later on, you can read carefully John 17, which is Jesus' priestly prayer before he was crucified. We read the portion of that in our call to worship last week. But in that prayer, Jesus is saying and praying for his disciples then and for you and me today that we might become, the word in the Bible is, perfectly one. This is God's desire. So we need to talk to one another more to create that relationship, meaningful relationship, and for God to make sure that would happen, he commanded us for us to sing when we come together as a faith family. Singing in the faith family is a form of speaking. Speaking to one another as we speak or as we sing to God. And this is what we would like to unpack this afternoon as we study Paul's command to the Ephesian church to pursue being filled by the Holy Spirit by the means of addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual song, singing and making melody to the Lord in our heart, as we will see verse 19 of Ephesians 5 which will be our main focus for this afternoon. But for the sake of understanding the context which this verse is included, we will read from verse 15 to verse 21. 
Ephesians number 5, or chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. I'll last the church, if you can, please, to rise as we read God's Word together. Ephesians number chapter 5, from verses 15 to verse 21. That says the Word of God. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of, of the Lord is, and do not Get drunk with wine, for that is the butchery. But be filled by the Spirit, how? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Dear Holy Spirit, we ask that you may glorify Christ as he comes clothed in the words of the scriptures in our midst this afternoon. We pray that you may cause us to respond to him, to respond to Christ in a way that we will bring glory to the Father. We ask this, knowing that you are able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We, you may be seated. When we read the Bible from cover to cover, we will see that singing plays a large role in the life of a church and in the life of a Christian. It always has and it always will be like this. And Paul, who is the author of this letter of Ephesians, of the letter to the Ephesians, knew this very well. He was a rabbi, a rabbi. So he knew this very well, that singing is part of the life, of the Christian life. When God created the, the world, the Bible says in Job 38, 6 and 7, that the holy angels were singing. When God delivered pe the people of Israel... The people of Abraham, of the family of Abraham from Egypt, they had a big celebration in Exodus 15. The Bible says that in that celebration they sang to the Lord. You know so, or you might know, the story of David when he brought the Ark of Covenant in, in 2 Samuel chapter 6. The people... They were making a joyful noise to the Lord in shouting 
and with the sound of horn. And we know also that David left many songs that encourage us to sing to the Lord, just like Psalm 96 that we read in our scripture reading this morning or this afternoon, sorry. I hope that you were paying attention to the words of that, of that psalm. So, and then if we will fast forward to the New Testament, we know that when Jesus was born in Luke 1, 46 to 55, Mary also articulated what we know as the Magnificat, like a song, likely in a song. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, afterwards, he and his disciples, they sang a hymn. The Bible affirms that also in Matthew 26, 30. When Paul and Silas were in prison, remember that we had that when we studied the book of Acts, they sang. And remarkably, the, uh, to the point that the doors of the prison were what? Open wide because of their singing. All right? We know that the angel, they did that. But they were singing with all their hearts, as we see in Acts 16. And the Bible also affirms that today in heaven, there is song be sang 74 or 724 or 7 to 24 hours every day, nonstop. The Bible says in Revelation that the 24 elders that surround the throne of God, they sing a new song to the Lord. So, what Paul tells us in this verse is grounded on the historical narrative of the Bible. And let me say that this is the true history of every human being alive or dead or that will come to be in this world. The Bible claims that this is the historical narrative of all humanity. So when he is commanding us today by the instruction of or by the instruction of the Holy Spirit for us to pursue the feeling by the Holy Spirit through addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart Paul is inviting us to come and to live in this narrative and allow this narrative of the Bible to shape and form who we are and how we live our lives as individuals, families, and also as a local church for the sake of the world around us. In addition to what I just said, Paul also grants this verse all right, that we have this afternoon in this, the, the, this letter of uh, Ephesians, which is important for us to understand and to get rightly the implication of Ephesians 5:19 for the brat or for us today, and also to understand what was the implication for our brothers and sisters there in the time of the church in Ephesus. 
So this leads me to my first point. Let's understand the context of this passage in the book of Ephesians. That's my first point. Understanding of the context of Paul's exhortation. So the narrative, uh, we know that the narrative of Paul, how he got to the city of Ephesus, we dealt with that at the end of Acts 18 and all Acts 19. We know that he stayed there most likely for two years, in which he had an effective ministry, and many in that city of Ephesus, they become followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. But years later, after being imprisoned by the Romans, Paul decided to write this letter to this church that he has invested into a lot. He was there for two years, and according to the Bible, was the church that he, has, uh, he had stayed the longest. So the flow of this thought, of the, Paul's thought in this letter, can be structured in two main parts. This letter of Ephesians can be structured in two main parts. The first one, it is from chapter 1 to chapter 3, where Paul, in a very creative way, creative way, was unfolding the historical narrative of the Bible, which is, again, the true story of humanity centered in the life and work of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power of the Spirit, created a new humanity in him displayed in this local church of Ephesus, a multi-ethnic community of Jesus' followers who came to faith and repentance as they trust in him as their Lord and, and Savior. The second part of the letter starts from chapter 4 to chapter 6. And it is connected or linked the, to the first part right in the beginning of chapter 4 with that word, therefore, therefore. And in this second part of the letter, Paul explores the implication of the good news about Jesus in the life of this new community of the followers of Jesus. In other words, how their new life in Christ should be formed and shaped by the truth of the gospel, affecting and touching every single aspect of their lives, personally, in their families, as they go and live and do life in their society, and even uh, as the local church, in their local church. So in chapter 4, he started by showing the everyday life of the family, or of this local family, of this church, which is a big family of the new humanity with a lot and different people. And they were grouped mainly, according to what we will see, as Jews and Gentiles. So this church, they had Jews and Gentiles. But there in chapter 4, and you can turn with me there now, chapter 4, you will see that 
Paul is emphasizing the very aspect that Jesus emphasized in his prayer that in the local church, in the church of the living God, his disciple, he desires that his disciples should become one. Go with me quickly to chapter 4, and let's read from verses 1 to verse 5. I therefore, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in the manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. See now verse 3, eager to do what? To maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of, of peace. Now, walk with me and count how many times he will use the word one in these verses. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. How many times? Seven. As a, as a, a, a good Jewish rabbi, the number seven means what? Perfection. Jesus prayed, let them be perfectly one, and he's using one here seven times, manifesting the same desire. However, Paul goes on to describe that their oneness, their unity, must not be confused with, and it is not the same thing as uniformity. He describes how Jesus' followers in the, this new humanity have different gifts which are all empowered by the one Holy Spirit, each using their gift to serve and love each other and to build up the church, thus, the body, or thus causing the body to grow when each part is working properly into the stature of the fullness of Christ. It is in this metaphor of the body of Christ, which had Jesus being the head of the body, that he will run in the next verses till chapter 6, oh, chapter 6, exactly verse 9. It is in this context that Paul gives a series of commandments in the way of contrast, including the passage that we are having today. So this con con contrast was, do, don't do this, do this. He wanted actually to contrast the old way of living of the old humanity, meaning humanity without Christ, and with the new humanity, meaning the humanity with, the, with Christ. And for that, he is using in verse, from verses 21 of chapter 4, the word of putting on, or putting off, sorry, and putting on. 
Let us see this carefully as we turn over there in chapter 4 from verses 21. We are just trying to get the context of our passage. All right? Let's just go there. Chapter 4, verse 21 to verses uh, 24. The Bible says the following. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth in Jesus. Do what? The first thing? Put off your old self, which belong to your former manner of life and is, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Gain a new way of thinking. And after gaining that new way of thinking, what do you need to do? You need now to put on what? A new self, a new humanity. How or what is this humanity? Is the humanity that was what? Created after what? The likeness of God in true what? Righteousness and holiness. Brothers and sisters, when we invite Jesus, or when we embrace the gospel, this is what happens to us. We become this new humanity in our Lord Jesus Christ. These new clothes that we are putting is the image of Christ being restored in us. Remember that when Adam sinned, the image of Christ in him, the image of God in him was distorted only with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For those that accept Jesus Christ in their lives is that the image of God is restored in us, meaning we become human as human was meant to be. We become true humanity. And this is what Christ has come to do, according to the verses that we have just read. And how God creates Christ, this character of Christ in us, he does that in and through our relationships in his, his church. But why? Why Christ does that in the church? The Bible says here in Ephesus that he chooses the church to display his manifold wisdom to the rulers of the spiritual realm in heavenly places, to the authorities there, and also to the world around us. This means that when we come together and become perfectly one, and we are adding and clothing ourselves with our Lord Jesus Christ. We are pursuing his character, allowing uh, brothers and sisters to speak truth in our lives. Together, we are displaying who Jesus Christ is. He say like this, love one another so that the world will do what? Will know that what? You are my disciples. And he says also in the prayer in John 17, that if we are perfectly one, the world will know that God has sent him. Has sent him as who? As the Lord and, and Savior. 
Are you getting what is at stake here, brothers and sisters? Are you getting what our unity and living with one another means for the gospel? Again, it is in this context that we find the command which our passage falls under this afternoon. And let me please help you see this again from verses 25, that he does this uh, don't do by taking off the old man and putting on, all right? Just follow me now in your Bible. It's important for you to see that in your Bible. Let's see from verse 25 now as you, we continue. He says like this, Therefore, put away what? Falsehood. Meaning, put away lies and be true for, to one another. He goes there in verse 26 and say, Be, hung, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. He say, instead of this community, be a community that will demonstrate anger. Let's resolve the problems in peace and love among us. He continues, he, stay, and he says there in, in, in verse 28, let the thief no longer what? Steal. Don't do this, but do what? Like have, go and work. To do what? To give. So be a generous giver. He continues and say, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Don't do this, but do what? Only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion. So in, in other words, speak good words of edification. Are you seeing don't do, do, don't do, and do? So, just imagine now a community where there is no thief, where no one gossips about anyone, where everyone speaks the truth, where there is no problem because everyone knows how to resolve these issues in peace. Is not that like heaven? <laughs> and this is what the Bible is saying. If we live in this way, we are now demonstrating our Lord Jesus Christ and this new community. Then we come now to our passage where he does the same command. Just uh, flip your page to chapter 5 and go and the command is do not get drunk with wine but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the commandment. Do not get uh, drunk, meaning don't be influenced by anything else but by the Spirit of the living God. Someone said it's not by accident that alcohol is called spirits. Because when you get drunk, you are then controlled by other spirits that is not the spirit of the living God. So, and the Bible is teaching us for us to pursue the, and to be filled with the uh, spirit of the living God. And this is what now gets to my second point, understanding the purpose and the power of Paul's exhortation to us this afternoon. This is the context of our passage today. 
So Paul is saying for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the question is, how are we to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And here, it is important for us to know that the image that we have is that the Holy Spirit is the agent that is filling us and filling us with the fullness of, of God, the put-on, the put-on of Christ. The agent that is helping us to do that is the Holy Spirit. But then he goes and says, how are we to be filled with the Holy Spirit? He starts, the first one which concerns to us this afternoon is addressing one another in what? In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. This is what we will uh, uh, explain this afternoon, but he gave another two ways that we are filled by the Holy Spirit, which is giving thanks, to, giving thanks always uh, to God and also to submit to one another. All right. So what Paul has in mind when he is talking about addressing one another in psalms and in hymns, he has pretty much the worship going on in the temple. So what we come to do here, when we come for worship, we address one another in psalms, in hymns, song of praise and spiritual song. This is a public demonstration that we belong to this kingdom, we are part of the kingdom of God, and we speak to one another by creating that relationship to nurture the, the, the character of Christ in us. Addressing one another means that our address needs to be understandable and needs to be what? Instructive. That's why when we sing, we need to sing uh, like things that people can understand. Let me give you an example of what I'm saying here. We sing always a song in, in the church, Before the Throne of God Above. You know the song, yeah? Before the throne of God above. There is one part of the, the, the song that says like this. My name is grieven on his hand. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands. What comes next? No tongue can bid me dance depart. You and me, we sing that song. Yeah? What does it mean? No tongue can bid me dance depart. What is the meaning of that? Some of us know, but I know that many of us, we don't. But we sing. So when the, the, we are saying that we are addressing one another in psalms and hymns, we need to know what are we singing. Let me just quickly tell you that this part means that there is nothing that can accuse us before the throne of, of God. As long as God is in the throne, as long as Christ is in the throne, no one can accuse us. That's why Romans 8 says there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. 
Nothing can separate us from the love of, of Christ. So next time when you sing, no tongue can beat me, thence depart, have this in your mind. Amen? But also our singing needs to be instructive. This is one of the ways that we have to obey the command of be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is by singing. You will see then that singing is not uh, something that we choose to do or not if we are in Christ. We need to be singing when we come together, brothers and sisters. Let's obey this together. Let's do this together, even today in our song of response. And in every opportunity that God gives us, carols in the desert is coming. Let's come together because as we do this, we are nurturing ourselves. And we are, in one sense, approaching the throne. In one sense, entering the throne and inviting Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to give us the understanding of who he is and who we are in him. It is important that we sing. Look for the opportunities to do that. You know, last Sunday we went to see Marilise in, in, uh, in the morning. And she would like to have people coming, even before church, just to sing some songs with her. If you can do that, it's one way. You sing together, encouraging her. You can do that. If Paul and Silas, they sing, something happened, who knows that your sing with our sister can give the, her the energy and the, the life or the health that she needs. Life is spiritual. Let's sing together. But as we sing, not every kind of songs as well. All right? Songs, our songs must have Jesus in the center and proclaim the truth of the gospel. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be Christ-centered. Jesus said in John 16 that the, when the Holy Spirit will come, he would glorify him and he will take what is his and declare to, to us. So when we sing together, we are singing the truth of the Gospels that Christ Jesus is giving the Holy Spirit to teach us. As we sing that, we are being natured and we are putting on the character of, of Christ. But when we do this, what? Together. Together. That's why the content and the words of our songs must be understandable and instructive. But they need also to be heartfelt, Jesus-centered, and Bible-faithful gospel truth. And we try as elders really to follow this. Even with the music team. We try back and forth with songs to try to make the songs biblically faithful, Bible-centered songs. Jesus-centered songs. Not only the songs that we sing, me, myself, and I. But the song that exalts who God is. 
And by doing this, it's like you are approaching a big mountain. As you are approaching the big mountain, that mountain that has been big always, you see the mountain bigger and bigger. When we worship, this is what happens. But some of us, when we come to worship, even the voice we cannot hear. We are missing that. When we don't do that with heartfelt attitude, it is not God that is missing. We are missing that. Let's engage. Let our heart pounds when we sing. It must be a heartfelt. I'm not saying that this weird thing over there, but at the same time, let's not go to the extremes. Like, nothing in your heart pumps you as you worship God. That's why Pastor two weeks ago said that our vision of God is like this. The glory of God doesn't mean nothing to us as a church. Why? Even in the way we come to church, very casual. You know, very casual. In the Old Testament, before they come to worship God, they needed to, you know, preserve themselves and prepare themselves in the Sabbath. Some of them, three days before, they needed to prepare to meet with God. Today it was taken because we are in Christ and we just come, you know, I'm going to church. That's why we don't see God moving in us. That's why we don't see churches proclaiming and manifesting who Jesus is. And we are being called to do this together, one another. Let's go. Let's do this. Our songs need to be biblical. Just because there is a hymn book or just because it is written by a Christian does not necessarily mean that it's truthful. We need to be Berean uh, believers that test the song. I have this example from one of the sources that I was reading for this message. You know very well that song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, isn't it? One of the stanzas says, We should never be discouraged. We should never be discouraged. And we sing that. So, if we never, or if we should never be discouraged, discouraged, sorry, therefore, we need to always be happy. Isn't it? Is it biblical that there is no discouragement in the life of a believer? We should never stay discouraged. It actually sounds more biblical, isn't it? Be discouraged and stay discouraged. Yeah? So let's think about that. Yeah? It's only one example that can be multiplied in others. Let's do that. Our singing is also to make a melody to the Lord in the privacy of our hearts. 
we see there that we need to sing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. So this is an attitude of devotion. We are to take ourselves, our heart, into the hands of God and bring them under the Lordship of Christ, dedicating uh, them to Him. Brothers and sisters, the Bible says that these people, Jesus was addressing some of the people in Matthew 15. They say, these people come to me with their lips, but their hearts are completely far away from me. So when we are here singing, let's connect our words to our minds and to the privacy of our hearts and worship the Lord in the spirit and truth and see Jesus be displayed to the world around us. This is the importance or the understanding of this, the purpose and the power of this instruction of Paul to us. To finish, Stuart Chase says the following. We can say that God's people are a singing people. When the gospel grips our heart, when we understand what Jesus did for us, it does something to our vocal cords. We might say that when the gospel frees us from sin, it frees us to sing. Let me just leave you with some quick applications. As we come to service, prior we come, in, in the way that the Lord has guided you, but in some way, prepare when you come to the worship service. Let the worship songs, hymns, permeate your time alone with God. Come expectant to see God moving in our midst. Come expectant to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not come with a casual attitude. And when you are here, be present, present. Present with your mind and present with your heart. Just come. Take some time before the service to concentrate and ask the Lord to help you to worship him in spirit and truth. The Bible says that the Father is seeking such people to worship him. May he find in us true worshipers. When you, we sing the songs that are there in the screen, even the passage, let's meditate. Let's actually make that song like a prayer. Let's think about what we are singing. And lastly, let's disciple our children and teach them how to worship God. You know, the problem with the gospel is that there is no uh, a good transfer from one generation to another. The world that is coming, we need to find true worship. Oh, God wants to find true worshipers. And for that to happen, we need to teach the next generation. For those that can, it's only one way that you have to do that. 
Why don't you start even your family? We call it family time. When you are there with your family, mom, daddy, and children, you sing some song, you teach the word. This habit was instructed by God even long ago. And many of us, we know that some of us, we grew up in that environment. But today, we simply forget. And we think that it is not important. This is only one example. You can find your own way as the Lord leads you, but don't take that aspect of discipling our children to others. We need to do that. And as we do that, let's take care of one another and sing a new song to the Lord. Let's pray. As we prayed in the beginning, Lord, may you come clothed in the words of these scriptures, O Father. And we pray that you may help us for us to be able to respond in a way that your name will be glorified. We trust our hearts, our minds to you. If anything I have spoken has distorted people to think about other things, but not the point of this message. Lord, we pray that you may take from our hearts, from our minds, anything that stands against the knowledge of Christ. And that in New Life Church, Lord, you can find true worshipers that will worship you in spirit and in truth so that the world will know that we belong to you and so that the world will see Jesus Christ in and through this faith family. Once again, Lord, we pray all this knowing that you are able to do exceedingly above anything that we can ask or think according to your power that is at work within us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.